reading of God's Word. Look at verse number 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a, gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, being made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils, and verily they are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. And so our Bible study, we're asking this, asking this question and answering it. And the question is this, who is Melchizedek? Who is Melchizedek? Let's pray. Lord, help us as we continue. The Bible study we started last week, perfectly we'll Finish it, Lord, if it's your will. We'll finish it uh, this week and um, uh, work through the material. But, Lord, I pray all of our hearts would be challenged and that you would help us to be mentally sharp and focused uh, on uh, the truths that you'll have in front of us. Lord, I know that as I have studied this, I have been deeply and greatly encouraged. And, Lord, if anything, if nothing else comes from this, may all of those that are here today leave here with that much more confidence in you and in, in who you are and what you do for us. Lord, where there is sin in our lives, convict us. Where there is um, struggles in our life, would you comfort us and help us, Lord, to leave here with exactly what uh, each and every one of us need. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an interesting uh, character study in the Bible. Uh, We said last week that there are only three places in Scripture where you find his name. There is Genesis chapter 14, there is Psalm 110, we'll look at Psalm 110 again later on in the Bible study, and then there's Hebrews 5 through 7. He comes and he goes, and then he comes and he goes, and then he comes and he goes. And he is, and many, for most people, he is a mystery. Uh, all of a sudden we're plotting through Genesis, we got through creation, we got through Noah and the flood, we got through Tower of Babel. Uh, we've gotten through the, the, the disbursement of the people. We land in Genesis chapter 12 and we have Abram. Later had his name changed to Abraham with his wife Sarai. Later had her name changed to Sarah. And they're sent out to become God's chosen people. And Abraham is taking this journey. And uh, while he's journeying, Lot, his nephew, decides to wander off into a city called Sodom. And so he's living in Sodom, and the Sodomites are taken captive by this other kingdom. And Abraham and his proprietary army come along, and they challenge these five kingdoms, and they win. They gather back Sodom and Gomorrah, and they send the kings back to their towns. And uh, Abraham makes off with the spoil, or the loot, on his way home. All of a sudden, in Genesis 14, on his way home, Melchizedek pops up out of nowhere. Just pops up out of nowhere. 
And he rendezvous with Melchizedek. The Bible calls him a high priest. And he gives him a tithe of all of the spoil uh, from his win as uh, with, with his military. And so uh, everyone is left scratching their head. Who is Melchizedek. Well, we looked at um, uh, the first, we gave you the three made header points and we worked down through uh, the beginning of letter B under number three. But let's quickly review here. Number one, notice Melchizedek's role. Melchizedek's role. And we looked at uh, three thoughts with Melchizedek's role. And we said letter A, we looked at his position. His position. And we, uh, we talked about how he is a king and a priest. A king and a priest. Look back at chapter 7 and verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. Okay, king and priest. We said that there was no human being in the entire Bible that ever held the position of both a king and a priest. There was no human being. In fact, two folks tried it and God punished both of them. Uh, Saul, King Saul, as king, offered up a sacrifice as he was waiting for Samuel, and God stripped away the kingly lineage from him because he tried to be king and priest. And then another king, uh, I think it was Josiah, I don't remember which king it was exactly, but he was um, king and he went into the uh, temple and he tried to perform a sacrifice and the high priest came running in and said, what are you doing? And God immediately struck him down with leprosy and he died in a leper colony outside of the city of Jerusalem because he disobeyed God's order. God did not want any man to be both a king and a priest. But Melchizedek is called a king and a priest. Letter B, we looked at his province. His province. Well, where was he a king and a priest? Well, the Bible tells us in verse... Um, uh, let's see. In verse number 1 and 2, it says... Uh, it says, in, uh, I'm looking at the wrong chapter here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter. Look at verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, uh, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So what was he? What, where was his province? Well, he was king of Jerusalem. Salem is Jerusalem. And he was king of righteousness. So, uh, righteousness and peace. And so we talked about how that Jerusalem had not yet been established. Jerusalem as the Israeli capital would be established several centuries later. This Salem, this Jerusalem was in heaven. So he came from heaven as king of Salem, the heavenly Jerusalem. He came down and was paid this tithe. His province. Letter C, we looked at his pedigree. His pedigree. And to answer the question of who is Melchizedek, all you have to do is look at Hebrews 7, verse 3. Look at verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent. So whoever this is has no parents. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, whoever this is, is eternal. Without parents and eternal, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. That his priesthood never ceases. He, he continues on in his duties. Um, to be without parents and to be without beginning of days and ends of, end of life, that means that you are a divine creature. Right? 
either this is an Old Testament appearance of Christ, or you have to make room for a fourth person in the Godhead. And then you have to rework your Trinity doctrine. So this is Jesus in the Old Testament. There's no other way to read this when you get to verse 3 than to say that this is Jesus. Now, people have tried to say that this is all these different types of people. And I'm sorry, you have to explain away verse 3 to me for this to be anyone other than Jesus in the Old Testament. And we said last week that an Old Testament appearance of Christ is known as what? A theophany or a Christophany. Okay? So, Christophany. This is a Christophany and uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. And so, Jesus in the Old Testament as priest was called Melchizedek. Jesus in the New Testament as priest is called Christ. And so, we see here that Melchizedek is Christ. Number one, we looked at Melchizedek's role. Number two, we looked at Abraham's reverence. Look at chapter 7. Verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. Look down at verse 3, without or rather look down at verse 4. Now consider how great this man, Melchizedek, was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Here you have Abraham riding high with political clout. He's just kicked, uh, he's just kicked five kings in the mouth. Defeated them, uh, released Sodom and Gomorrah's kingdoms back to where they are, salvaged his nephew Lot. He's coming home with all the spoil. Listen, his military was more powerful than Sodom and Gomorrah's militaries combined. That's impressive. He's coming home riding this political clout uh, 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 with all of this power and might, and he sees... Christ in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, and he stops and he takes one-tenth of what he got and he said, here you go, this is yours. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, we looked at this last week. I'm going to hit it and run. Um, Melchizedek, nowhere in the Bible, Genesis 14, Hebrews 7, nowhere does it say that Melchizedek required Abraham to give him one-tenth. You can read it all day long. It's not there. Now, maybe he did. Maybe it was a requirement. Do you know why I believe Abraham gave a tenth of all of his spoil to Melchizedek? Because he was worshiping him. It was being done out of a heart of reverence. We talked about how you come to church on Sundays, and you ought to come with a frame of mind to worship the Lord. You're Singing ought to be worshiping the Lord. I wish all of you could see what I see from the platform while we're having the singing time. And what's really funny to me is some of the people that won't sing in church, when Taylor Swift is on in the radio, man, head back, eyes back, they're singing away. Alright? Maybe Taylor Swift isn't your style, but you get where I'm going. Alright? We don't mind singing the world's songs, but we kind of mumble through the Lord's songs. Oh, look, you can't read the end of Psalm, the last 20 chapters of Psalm, without seeing, sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord. Sing unto, there's whole chapters dedicated to sing unto the Lord. You say, well, I can't sing. Hey, you ought to worship through your song. You ought to worship through your service. Make a joyful noise. Even if you can't sing, make a noise, right? Um, uh, you ought to also worship through your giving through your financial contribution. Now, I don't know who gives what here. All right, We have a church treasurer 
who does the recording, and it is done as privately and carefully as possible. So I don't know who in here gives what. But I will tell you this, is that you cannot say that you truly are worshiping the Lord unless you're willing to reach down into your bank account and give to the Lord's work. Give to the Lord's work. Now you say, well, pastor, then is a tithe biblical? I think a tithe or a tenth, that word tithe means tenth. In Spanish, the word for tithe is diezmos, which means ten percent. I think a tithe is a great starting place. But if you cannot give one-tenth of your income by faith, then you figure out what percentage you can give by faith, and you give that out of a heart of worship, and then you ask God to increase your faith. And you give accordingly. So we see Abraham's reverence. And then we looked at number three. We looked at uh, Melchizedek's rule. Rule. R-U-L-E. Rule. And uh, letter A, we looked at the lordship of Christ as priest. The lordship of Christ as priest. We said that he came first. And before, uh, before Abraham was, what did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, I've just, I, I just exist. I exist. I exist in eternity past. I exist now. I exist in eternity future. God lives outside the realm of time. And so Melchizedek came first because he's Jesus and According to verse 3, he has no beginning of days. And so, yes, the Aaronic Levitical priesthood came along, but they came secondary too. And so, by nature of being first, uh, uh, he's better. Now, again, uh, to help all of those along, there's a few of you, this is your first time here on a Wednesday evening, or it's your first time in a long time. The theme of Hebrews, really quick, the theme of Hebrews is comparing Jesus to all of the other elements of Judaism. In fact, what the book of Hebrews is an attempt to do is to tell all of the Jews, it's to say, lay your Judaism to rest, Jesus is flat out better. Jesus is the completion of all of the the tenets of Judaism. In fact, all of the tenets of Judaism were given to you as an arrow to Christ. Jesus Christ has come. He has completed all of those arrows. So stop worshiping the arrows and start worshiping Christ. So he got compared, Jesus got compared to, or was compared to the angels and the prophets, and he was compared to Moses, and, um, and so now he's being compared to the Levitical priesthood. And so here, what the author of Hebrews is attempting to do is say, you have Melchizedek's lineage, which is Melchizedek and Jesus, and over here you have Aaron's Lineage. You remember Aaron was chosen by Moses to be priest. He had the, the, uh, the, the linen girdle and the ephod put on him and he was, uh, he was chosen in his family. In fact, you had to be born through Aaron's lineage to serve as a priest. Uh, uh, backing up a little further, Aaron's great, 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 way up the line grandfather Levi, if you fell under the auspice of being a Levite or from Levi's lineage, you got to serve in the temple or tabernacle, but only those direct descendants from Aaron got to be priests. So this is a comparison to Aaron's priesthood versus Melchizedek and Jesus' priesthood. And he's saying here, Jesus is a better priest than Aaron's priesthood. And so why? Because he came first. Here you have Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek. Levi has yet to be born yet. 
And then way down the line, Aaron would be born. Remember, you have Abraham, and then Abraham had a son, late in age. What was that son's name? Isaac. Isaac had two children. It was Esau and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel would have how many sons? Twelve. One of those children was named Levi, and then way down Levi's lineage, Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, would be born. So, here Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek. Levi isn't even a twinkle in mom's eye yet. Aaron is especially not a twinkle in mom's eye yet. So who's greater? Well, Melchizedek is. Because before Aaron ever came around, Melchizedek's been around being a priest forever. So he came first. Then we looked at how he lives uh, forever. He lives forever. And then we looked at uh, letter B. This is where we left off last week, the legality of Christ as priest, uh, as priest. I think a lot of you enjoyed what we covered here. Below that we looked at, and this is where we stopped, the priest tribe changed. The priest tribe changed. Look with me at verse number 11. And then this will help us to get up to speed with what we want to cover. Verse number 11 of chapter 7 says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it um, the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For Look at verse 12. Uh, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Okay, this is where we finished last week. Moses, when he wrote out Genesis to Deuteronomy, he made it lock, solid, shut, tight, that in order for you to be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. Question, is Jesus a descendant of Aaron? No. Jesus is a descendant of Judah. I went back today and I looked at Mary's lineage, and Joseph's lineage, and they both come through Judah. Don't be confused, by the way, in Luke, because in that lineage there were a couple of people named Levi, but it wasn't that Levi. Okay, you know how many, we have a Levi in our church, but that doesn't mean he comes from the. You get what I'm saying there? Definitely, I have them circled in my Bible. Mary came from Judah's line, and uh, Joseph came from Judah's line. So. By the law, can Jesus be a priest if he didn't come from the Aaronic priesthood? No. The law had to be changed. And the tribes had to be changed. Go back over to Psalm 110. And again, I told you uh, there are only three places in the Bible where Melchizedek is mentioned. Uh, Genesis 14, he is the eternal priest. Psalm 110, he just pops up out of nowhere. And then uh, here in Hebrews. Okay, Psalm 110, David is having the Levites. By the way, part of the job of the Levites was to lead the country in worship. Uh, the sons of Korah were priests, and they wrote a whole lot of the book of Psalm. And so they led the country in worship. And so David is having this song book put together for the Israelites Look at verse 1. The Lord, notice the capitalization of all the letters. That's a reference to Jehovah, or God the Father. The Lord said unto my Lord, notice the capitalization, or rather lowercase of O-R-D. The first Lord is God the Father. The second Lord is God the Son. So, God the Father said unto God the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my, uh, thy footstools. 
uh, thy footstool. Look down at verse 4. The Lord, notice the capitalization of O-R-D. That's, that's um, God the Father hath sworn and will not repent. Thou, Jesus, God the Son, art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's saying here, we're going to change the law. Oh yes, we've had this law that Moses gave where in order to be a priest, you had to come from the tribe of Aaron and, and through uh, Levi, Levi through, and then through Aaron. But, uh, but that is all going to change. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7 and look back at verse 11 with that in mind. Okay, If therefore perfection were by, notice it's a hypothetical, if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Look at verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. What tribe is that? That's the tribe of Judah, which no man gave attendance to the altar. Nowhere in Scripture do you find anyone who comes from the the Judah lineage serving at the altar. you, You can't find it. Hold on a minute. Verse 14, just a minute. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So, the Judean line is where we get King David and the kings. The Levitical line is where we get Aaron and then the priests. He did. He picked Psalm 110.1 and he, he quoted that in the Gospels. As if to validate himself. So the priest tribe changed. It went from being Aaron and it switched over to Judah. Levi over to Judah. And, and, and not just anybody from Judah, but specifically Jesus, who is born through the lineage of Judah. Does everybody understand what's being explained here? You have to be paying attention. If you started daydreaming anywhere in there, then you're probably lost, okay? Uh, notice next, uh, Melchizedek's lineage continued. Melchizedek's lineage continued. If you have a bulletin, you can fill out the blanks on the back there and go back and study a little bit deeper later. Look with me at verse 15. It says, now we're getting into new material. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude or the likeness of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, uh, the Melchizedek's lineage continued. Melchizedek pops up in Genesis 14. He's referenced in Psalm 110. And we see this priestly necessity being continued from Melchizedek in the Old Testament to Jesus uh, in in the New Testament, um, uh, I, I wrote here that the Levitical. Go back, uh, look look back with me at verse. I believe it's yeah, verse sixteen. Who is made? Now notice this first is a comparison to Aaron's lineage, not after the law of a carnal commandment. Moses gave laws that related related to that of carnality. Why do we have the laws? Do we have the laws? So that we can try to be perfect? The Bible tells us in Romans that the law was given us to be a schoolmaster. A schoolmaster. You know what it does? It shows us that we don't measure up. It shows us that we can't. Anybody here want to try to say they've never broken any of God's laws? 
So what was Aaron's laws about? Aaron's laws was to say, here's the line you have to hold. Well, that's great, Moses, that you gave us these rules and that you gave us the priests to go and atone for us when we can't keep the rules. But, hey, your priests are contaminated by carnality and sin, and the laws can't be kept on their own. We need outside help. Look back at verse 16, but at the end of it, but after the power of an endless life. So you have the Aaron's priesthood trying to enforce carnal commandments, and then you have Melchizedek's priesthood in Jesus who is bringing life, bringing an endless, eternal life because he's able to take us from a broken law and take us through the process of grace and save our souls. Melchizedek's lineage continue. Below that, notice the Old Testament priesthood canceled. The Old Testament priesthood canceled. Now, please listen closely. I am not a priest. Any church that has a priest is an unbiblical church. You hear me? Priests are done away with. I'm going to show you that here in Scripture right now. There is no room for a priest in a church, and there hasn't been for well over 2,000 years. That is done. Okay? That is done. Who is your priest? By the way, you still have a priest. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came along and He shut down the Aaronic priesthood and He said, I will be the last priest. You don't need any more earthly priests. Look at verse 18. Notice this word. It's a legal word. It's a very important word. For this is verily a disannulling. If you don't have that word underlined or circled in your Bible... Underline it or circle it. A canceling out, a disannulling, verse 18, of the commandment, going before uh, uh, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. You can also circle the word unprofitableness. It is unprofitable for there to be a priest today. They have been disannulled, they have been canceled. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Turn with, you say, well, when did the Levitical priesthood get canceled? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we find Jesus hanging on the cross. And uh, he is atoning for the sins of mankind. He has taken the sin of mankind on himself. He has suffered the wrath of God in his body. He's not only been the priest, but he's been the sacrifice. And after the wrath of God has been appeased, and our sin has been punished, and right before his death, something miraculous happens. Look at verse 43. Better get to the right verse here. Verse 43. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily, am I in the right spot? Yes. Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Wow. Now, I'm going to explain this as though you've never heard it before. I know many of you have, but not everyone in here has. In the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was an item called uh, the mercy seat. Okay, And uh, in that, uh, that mercy seat, you had an Aaronic priest, once a year, would 
offer a sacrifice for his own sins to make sure he was pure. He would take some of the blood from that sacrifice and he would walk into the Holy of Holies. Once a year, he would go through this veil or this really thick, expensive curtain. He would go in with his own sins confessed. He would sprinkle the blood of that spotless lamb on that altar and that action would God would atone or forgive the Israelites. When Jesus died on the cross, God Himself reached down from heaven and He grabbed hold of that thick curtain that separated the people from the presence of God and He tore it in half. You know what He's saying? You don't need that space anymore. That's not needed anymore. Because now the people don't need you priests to go to me uh, on their behalf. The people can now go directly to God on their own. At that moment, God said, I am Jesus said, I am the priest, and the Aaronic priesthood is no more. I am the completion of that. The Old Testament priesthood at that moment, when the veil was written in half, was cancelled. It was cancelled and it is no longer needed. You do not need to go to a man to confess your sins. There is no confessional booth at this church. You may come to my office and sit there, and you may share with me some heartaches and struggles in your life, and you may open up and tell me some confidential things so that I can help guide you spiritually, but you do not need to confess your sins to any man. I can't forgive you of your sins, and I can't get God to forgive you for your sins. Jesus is sitting in heaven on the right hand of the Father, and He is acting as your priest. You go to heaven, and you ask Jesus to go to God on your behalf, and God forgives you through the person of Jesus. The Old Testament priesthood canceled. Notice, lastly in her letter B here, the legality of Christ as priest. Notice, there is a new covenant. There is a new covenant. Look down at verse number 20. Chapter 7, verse 20 says, And inasmuch as not without an oath, uh, he was made priest. For the priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now that language may sound confusing, but once we turn back to Psalm 110 verse 4, it will be less confusing. Go back there quickly. Psalm 110 verse 4. What is this oath stuff? Well, you have to understand that in order to be an Old Testament ironic priest, you didn't have to take some oath. There was no laying your hand on a Bible and saying, I promise to uphold. There was none of that. Okay, To be a priest uh, in the Aaronic line, all you did is you were born into the family. That was it. That was the only qualification. You remember Eli's sons? How vile and vulgar they were? The Bible says they were sons of Belial. They were priests not because of their behavior. They were priests because of their lineage. There was no oath taken. However, when Jesus was chosen to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he took an oath. Look at verse number 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever. There's that oath. Hath sworn. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at my at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Much of Psalm 110 is talking about the uh, second coming of Christ and um, uh, and the millennial reign. But that's uh, we're not going to get into eschatology tonight. The purpose I'm trying to get to you here is that uh, the Old Testament priesthood was canceled and Jesus 
ushered in a new covenant. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is that Jesus is priest. Jesus is priest. Had you lived prior to Jesus, you would have needed to go to uh, the temple and have your sins atoned through a sacrifice. Or at least you would have needed to, uh, for, for your daily sins to be forgiven. Now, what do we do? The Bible says this. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to get really technical with you here. How does that work? How does God forgive our sins? It's really technical, but it's very important. Where is Jesus located right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. The first time Jesus came to earth, He came as a prophet. The second time He comes to earth, He'll come as King Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is three things. He's prophet, He's priest, and He's king. The first time He came as a prophet... The second time he'll come as a king, right now in heaven, he is sitting on the right hand of the throne of God doing what? He is acting as our priest. He is acting as our priest. Here's how it works. You go into the throne room of grace as you're commanded to do in, I believe it's Hebrews 4, the end of Hebrews 4, we're told to go into the throne room of grace and uh, go into the throne of grace and find grace, help, and time of need. You walk into the throne room of God covered in sin. The Lord can see who you are. And you go to the Lord and you say, God, will you forgive me for my sin? And Jesus looks at God and He says, will you do it for my sake? And God looks at Jesus and says, I'll forgive him for your sake. Jesus is acting as your priest right now. Now, how is it that God can keep forgiving you? He's not forgiving you because you're so lovable. He's forgiving you because He loves His Son and Jesus loves you. And why does Jesus love you? Because He died for those sins on the cross. And so you keep going back to God and saying, God, I blew it. Will you forgive me? And Jesus looks at God and says, hey, he blew it or she blew it. Will you forgive him? And God God looks at Jesus and said, as the priest, as the mediator, I'll forgive him for your sake. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Jesus is acting as your priest. We're living under that new covenant. Okay, let me give you one more letter here. We looked at letter A, the lordship of Christ. Letter B, the legality of Christ. Letter C, let's look at the life of Christ as priest. The life of Christ as priest. Really quick, I'm going to give these to you. Uh, Rapid fire, we'll read, give a couple comments and move through them. Notice below that, he is a powerful priest. He is a powerful priest. Look at chapter 7. And look at verse number 23. It says, And they truly, um, let's see, yes, I'm reading the right verse. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered, speaking of the Aaronic priesthood, to continue by reason of death. So why were there so many high priests? Because they kept dying. Why were they dying? Because they were sinners. They were finite. Alright? So, notice the contrast here between the Aaronic priesthood, they keep dying and having to pass this baton. Verse 24, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Hey, he's never going to be impeached. A lot of talk about impeachment lately in the media. No one's going to impeach him and he's not going to resign. He's not going anywhere. He's an unchangeable priest, and uh, he's, he's been a, a priest since eternity passed. He'll be a priest uh, continually. Verse 25, wherefore he is able, look at the power here, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. They came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, and maketh intercession 
for them. So, uh, how is the power of, of our priest uh, 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 put on display? Well, it's put on display by the fact that he lives forever. It's put on display uh, by the fact that he never changes. He never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. It's put on display by the fact that he can save anyone. If Osama bin Laden, before his death, had fallen to his knees, had called on the name of Jesus Christ to save him, is Jesus powerful enough to forgive Osama bin Laden? Oh, yes, he is. If somebody who is molested and hurt and injured and taken advantage of hundreds and thousands of children, or maybe an abortion doctor who's performed tens of thousands of abortions, if they come to Jesus and they fall on their knees and they confess their sins and they call on the name of the Lord to save him and put their total faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save him, is Jesus powerful enough to save them? He absolutely is. There is no sin or wrongdoing that Jesus can't forgive. You say, well, I don't think Jesus should forgive him. Well, that's not up to you. That's not up to you. Listen, I'm in that boat with you as a man that if someone's going to go hurting little children, they're, they're sorry, carcass ought to rot in hell for eternity. But if Jesus died on the cross for their sins and He wants to save them, He's powerful enough to do that. He can save anybody. He can save anybody. There are people who don't turn to Jesus for salvation because they think they're not worthy. My friend, Jesus doesn't save us because we're worthy. He saves us because He's worthy. And then I love the end there where it says that He maketh intercession. That just means He keeps going back to the Lord on our behalf. He's a powerful priest. Notice He is a personal priest. Look at the beginning of verse 26. It says, For such an high priest becometh, or rather became us. He became us. I think back to that verse earlier in the book that says, For we have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our... We have not a high priest, rather, that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been a human being. Your priest has put on, robed himself in flesh, and has gone through all of the sicknesses and trials and temptations that you have. And so when you enter into his presence, he looks at you and says, I know what you're going through because I've been through it myself. He is a personal priest. Notice next, he is a perfect priest. Look back at verse 26. For such an high priest became us, personal, who is an who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the angels, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Do you know I can't go die on the cross for your sins? Because I am a sinner, and I have mistakes and errors. If I were to go die on a cross, I'd have to die for my own sins. But when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't need to bring a sacrifice for his own sin, because there weren't any. He hung up there and he became all of our sins of all of humanity because why? Because he is a perfect priest. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Boy, verse 26 is just, it's awesome. Notice next, he is a permanent priest. He is a permanent priest. Look back at verse 24. But this man, because he liveth, because he continueth ever. Look down at verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities. But the word of the oath, there's that idea of of an oath again, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. One one last little tidbit here about Jesus being Melchizedek. If Melchizedek is the priest that reigneth forever, then there isn't room for someone to come take his place. Because if Jesus stepped in and became the priest that lived forever, that means Melchizedek's reign would have stopped. Does that make sense? 
So Jesus has to be Melchizedek because they're both said to be a priest that liveth forever. They're not sharing a dual role. They're the same person, just called two different names, but depending on the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is a permanent priest. Uh, two more here. He is a praised priest. He is a praised priest. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So verse 1 through 5 is just going to summarize what's been explained. All right, I love this. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. You go to Revelation and you can read about the th- this throne room where Jesus is seated. And I mean, there are creatures that have been created to do nothing but fly around and praise Jesus for who He is. Praise God for who He is. He is a praise priest. As Jesus sits there right now making intercession for us, there are angels singing His praises while He does it. He is a praise priest. Last one here. He is a practicing priest. You say, well, where is he practicing? Oh, 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 man, this is good. Look at verse 2. A minister, okay, so he's practicing. He's a minister of what? Of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. So there is a sanctuary. There is a true tabernacle in heaven. That is a physical location where Jesus sits. Just like the priests worked in tabernacles on the earth, temples on the earth, Jesus is living and working and operating in heaven's tabernacle, in heaven's sanctuary. Verse 3 through 5 go on to talk about how earthly priests offered gifts and sacrifices and did things on earth. Jesus is doing those things in heaven. He is a practicing priest. So we have a priest who is hard at work on our behalf. Okay, it's time to stop, but I want to make one application, and then we'll call it a night. Here's the application. Have you ever had Satan sit on your shoulder seemingly and say to you, you can't go talk to the Lord in prayer? You've been a bad boy or a bad girl. God's mad at you. He's upset with you. He's angry at you. You can't come pray. He, he, he doesn't want it to have anything to do with you right now. The way you treated your wife or your husband or your boss, or that attitude you had, or that language you used, or that TV show or movie you watched, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He's upset with you right now. Let me just remind you the way heaven is structured. God the Father who hates sin, ultimately hates sin, is sitting on His throne and right next to Him is Jesus, who is waiting for you to walk in and say, I blew it. I agree with you, God. That was sin. Jesus turns to God and says, will you forgive him? And God, every time, looks at Jesus and says, he's forgiven because of you. And then you go on and you ask God for whatever it is that you need to ask him for. Now, that doesn't mean you get to go live however you want and then walk in his throne room and take advantage of that. Shame on you if you do that. Shame on you if you do that. But we're all sinners and we are all going to blow it from time to time. And when we do... We run to the Lord, not expecting Him to beat us over the head. We run to Him and have a priest who's ready to make intercession on our behalf. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer.